0: irish spring body wash and bar soap fresh green irish shop now at a store near you nfl total access is a production of the nfl in partnership with iHeartRadio.
1: would you look at that it's bucky brooks
2: it's friday july 14th and you're listening to nfl total access the podcast That is the unmistakable voice of
1: today's special guest. He's the former NFL defensive back, the scout, talent, evaluator, draft expert, podcaster, analyst, and reader of NFL Tea Leaves. He's Bucky Brooks. Welcome back to the pod. Good, sir. What's going on, man? How are you doing? Good to see you, man. I'm good. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you for making time for us as you so often do. I'm your host, NFL Network senior writer Andrew Levy, and on today's show, interviews with New York Jets returning running back Brees Hall. And at long last, sorry for the delay, Detroit Lions wide receiver Amon Ra St. Brown. I'm gonna ask Bucky about those teams, Jets and Lions, before each of those interviews. Plus, why Patrick Mahomes, when faced with the prospect of facing either the Bills or the Bengals in last season's AFC Championship game, admitted that even though the Bills presented the better matchup for the Chiefs, he wanted to face the Bengals, the tougher test, in order to break the losing streak against Burroughs boys, and in order to personally shut up all that Burrowhead talk, Bucky Brooks, let's start there. What does this tell us about number 15 that maybe we didn't already know?
2: he is the ultimate franchise quarterback that everybody would want. And when we talk about franchise quarterback, naturally everyone thinks about the physical arm talent, uh, big time ability, the athleticism, uh, the clutch factor that he's displayed throughout his time with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, But to me, franchise quarterbacks have to have a high level of competitiveness that they'll walk onto the field and they'll basically boldly tell you we're winning today and it's going to happen. And I don't care who we face, They're not winning over my dead body. And so Patrick Mahomes, his willingness to go toe-to-toe with Joe Burrow, to me, speaks volumes about his leadership ability, his competitiveness, and I think it gave us a little glimpse as to why the Kansas City Chiefs know that they have the best quarterback in football.
1: You were an NFL defensive back we always talk about quarterbacks being the leaders of teams, being the faces of franchises. It's not not the case for every NFL team, of course, but it so often is, or at least that is the perception out here amongst us lay people. From your perspective in the defensive side of things, in your D-backs room, in your unit, Is a quarterback able to inspire even someone like yourself on the other side of the ball, a defensive player, a D-back, who doesn't maybe share time in meeting rooms, but shares the same uniform, shares the same goal? Is it possible to be inspired top to bottom on a roster by a quarterback like this?
2: Absolutely, but only the special ones are uh, that. And I think sometimes we make the mistake um, not only as – like coaches and executives, but also as media members of anointing every quarterback as the leader of the team. That's not how it always goes down. Uh, Play with quarterbacks, Jim Kelly, Brett Favre, Rich Gannon, uh, all guys who played at high levels in the league. They were unquestionably the leaders of the teams. Uh, When you think about the quarterback from a defensive standpoint, the only thing that you want is someone in the huddle on offense that inspires you, who gives you hope that If we get the ball back to them, they know how to win it. And so, yeah, like there there are countless stories. Jim Kelly just doing what he's done. When I joined the Buffalo Bills in 94, they were coming off a run of four straight Super Bowl appearances. That only happens if you have an A-level quarterback. I was in Green Bay when Brett Favre was in the midst of running, winning three straight MVPs. He was magical. It was – the stuff that he did was beyond belief. And because he was so – Magical and how he played, we knew that every time we walked on the field that we had a chance. Rich Gannon, who was my teammate in Kansas City before we rejoined and became teammates again in Oakland, um, he transformed the Oakland Raiders under John Gruden. His ability to lead, to lead outside of the box, to take and pick up the baton where the coaches left off, made the difference in that team eventually becoming a team that participated in a Super Bowl under John Gruden's successor. So yes. The quarterback plays a huge role in providing that leadership but he has to have the game to go with all of the other stuff for the team to fully follow
1: bucky where we stand right now on the nfl calendar we are days weeks away from the beginning of training camp as a member of a defensive unit looking across the ball at the quarterback who wears the red uh, for that period of time The great ones, I suppose, make you better during that period of time. They are preparing you uh, for the season in a way that a lesser quarterback couldn't. And maybe in that way, even if they're not a vocal leader, they become the de facto leader
2: even of a defense. Um, They can become the leader, but a lot of it has to be in their performance and production. Because if you don't perform at a level, your words ring hollow. And so you have to be able to feel them and see them perform at those high levels, not only in games, but in practices. And so there was a thing in Green Bay where they were talking about, can you go the entire day with the ball not hitting the ground? Can Brett Favre go the entire practice day? Can he go multiple practice days where the ball never hits the ground because he's that accurate, he's that spot on? That's the level of expectation. Mike Holmgren brought that coming from his time with the San Francisco 49ers when he worked with Joe Montana and Steve Young, but particularly Joe Montana. And so when you talk about playing at a championship standard, at a championship level, the quarterback sets the tone with that, with the way that he performs in practice. Because if he performs at a high level, everybody raises their game. I
1: got to follow up. If the question was, can Jim Kelly, can Brett Favre go a whole practice without the ball hitting the ground, was the answer ever yes?
2: I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, they would have these days where, I mean, you talk about completing periods where they're going – 22 for 22 and 707. Uh, The ball doesn't hit the ground when you watch them uh, throw it in team drills. That's the expectation because, I mean, we're talking about Hall of Fame guys. And, like, that's how they perform. They're Hall of Famers because they have that ability to be great consistently. And so those are the things that, that you would see from that. And because of that, their teams played a championship level.
1: You mentioned Hall of Fame. We're going to talk Hall of Fame here in a little bit. Coming up, of course, we're going to address T.A. Summer School with Professor Bucky Brooks, and he's going to give us a dissertation, a seminar on the credentials of current defensive linemen and linebackers. But you opened the door with regards to Hall of Fame. Let's put a button on the Patrick Mahomes conversation by asking you, Bucky Brooks, if Patrick Mahomes, number 15, retired today, is he in the Hall of Fame?
2: Yes, two-time Super Bowl winner, uh, MVPs. Uh, he's done it while like just putting up ridiculous numbers. Yeah, Pat Mahomes walked away from the game today. He is going in the Hall of Fame five years from now, getting his gold jacket because he's a special player. He's an all-timer. I think everyone who has watched him play senses that. And if you ask players who played against him, they would say that is what a Hall of Fame quarterback looks like. That's what he plays like. That's how he acts. He's a Hall of Famer.
1: Translation, Patrick Mahomes doesn't just wear red, he wears gold too. You know, just not yet. The next topic, G-O-O-D, good, good, good. As in how good does New York Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers have to be to lead these Jets to their intended destinations. Stop number one atop the AFC East, stop number two atop the AFC, and stop number three on top of the world after Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. Bucky Brooks, they said this team was a quarterback away. Well, they got their quarterback. How good does that quarterback have to be?
2: He has to be good. He has to be great. He has to be spectacular. He has to turn back the clock and play at a level that we may have not have seen in a few years. Uh, it's one thing to be awarded the MVP. It's another thing to play at an MVP level. He has to play at an MVP level, meaning he is performing like he's one of the top three quarterbacks in the National Football League. So his efficiency, his effectiveness, his impact has to be felt by everybody on that offense. It has to be one where you now walk into the stadium facing the Jets, afraid of what number eight is going to do because that's Aaron Rodgers' new number. And so their opportunity to win a Super Bowl, man, he's going to have to be at a MVP level, maybe an undisputed All-Pro. If they are to win the AFC, he's going to have to play at that same level. For them to win the NFC East, he may not have to play at like one of those all-time great levels, but he's certainly going to have to put together an MVP caliber performance. The only way the Jets are going to realize some of the dreams that they have is because Aaron Rodgers takes them there by playing at a level that many of us don't believe that he can play it at this stage of his career.
1: Okay, there. He said it. Bucky Brooks says in order to win the AFC East, he maybe doesn't have to be at his absolute best, but in order to win the AFC and in order to have Super Bowl aspirations, he's going to have to be at the very top of his game. Let's remind you, listener, that A... Aaron Rodgers has won four MVPs before. Let's remind you, B, what he did in those seasons. The first MVP year was 2011. He won 14 games, one loss, obviously missed a start in that season, but uh, threw for 4,600-plus yards, 40. Five touchdowns against only six interceptions he won the mvp again in 2014 12 and 4 record that year 4400 yards just south of that 38 touchdowns against only five interceptions and then of course those back-to-back mvp years in 2020 and 2021 13 and 3 both of those years uh hovering around 70 percent completion percentage or higher in one of those years about 4200 4300 yards the first year 48 touchdowns, which led the NFL against only five interceptions. The second year, his fourth MVP year, 37 touchdowns against only four interceptions. I think what jumps off the page, Bucky, is what we have come to expect from Aaron Rodgers at his best. Highly effective, highly efficient with regards to getting the ball in the paint and highly, highly stingy, downright selfish. He refuses to give the ball away, and I assume that for you, that has to be one of the tent polls of this 2023 campaign, not giving the ball away.
2: Yeah. Number one thing is uh, before you can win, you have to make sure that you dominate the categories that will prevent you from losing games. So turnovers, being able to be highly efficient. So your offense operates without penalties. And then the other thing falls the defense in terms of no big plays, no explosives allowed Uh, for Aaron Rodgers. He has always been a guy that has played keep away better than most. He will need to continue to do that. But I think the common denominator in the numbers that you spit out, maybe 4,500 yards, right around 40 touchdowns, that has kind of been the driving force behind his MVP campaigns. It also coincided with high double-digit wins. So if we're just taking Aaron Rodgers for who he's been throughout his career, for him to get the Jets where they need to be, he has to have 35-plus touchdowns, almost 40. He has to have maybe about 4,500 yards, for them to play at a level where they can get 10, 11, 12, 13 wins and really be in the conversation not only as one of the top teams but with Rodgers being an MVP candidate.
1: And we have to be, I assume, looking at single digits in terms of picks, the lower the better, obviously.
2: Yeah, I mean, like obviously the, the, the number has to be low, and he's always been really good about taking care of the football. He'll take a sack, he'll throw it in the sands, but he is not going to force the ball in and get a turnover. And so he needs to continue to operate in that manner, but the thing will be with the Jets, does he have to push the envelope a little more and kind of show them how to win some of these games that maybe they're not favoring it? Very, very interesting. Uh,
1: Translation, maximize each opportunity, each drive, and every single snap. Let's turn now, same team, new topic, that topic, the MVP. I said new topic, so no, it's not four-time MVP Aaron Rodgers. It's the player on gang green who Bucky Brooks says should be, needs to be, but will he be the Jets' most valuable player in the 2023 campaign? Bucky Brooks, who is it and why?
2: Quentin Williams is the most important jet outside of Aaron Rodgers. And the reason why is because he's the pivotal piece on the front line. They can bring in all those outside pass rushers to get after the quarterback, but there's not anyone on that front line that can dominate like Quentin Quentin Williams. Uh, Watching him come out of Alabama, he dominated, was disruptive, very effective as a big man, kind of trapped in a smaller guy body. But now it's the disruption that we've seen throughout his career. Last year, 12 sacks, 27 and a half sacks throughout his career. He's due to bag. So do the Jets, give him the bag. And can he, after getting the money, can he avoid complacency? And so that is the trick. That is the challenge. They need to pay him, but they need to make sure he's going to play at a high level.
1: Well, listener, it seems that Bucky Brooks spoke it into existence, because not long after we finished recording today's podcast, we got news from Ian Rapaport and Tom Pellicero that Quinnen Williams has agreed to terms on a four-year, $96 million extension with the Jets. That's the highest total value contract among all interior D linemen in the NFL, second highest per year behind only Aaron Donald. So, Q gets the bag, Q gets paid, but one Q remains. That cue, the question that Bucky Brooks posed. Will this player be the same player once he gets paid? Time will tell. Jets fans certainly hope the answer is yes. So too Jets players, like returning running back Brees Hall, who Mike Yam spoke to just yesterday.
3: Brees Hall is with us, the Jets running back. And Brees, I-, I know it's the question everyone is thinking about. How healthy are you?
4: I'm doing pretty good right now. Um, you know, like I said, I've, I've been saying I'll be ready for the first game. So, you know, right now I'm just focusing on getting my knee as strong as possible. and Just getting that confidence back. But it's been going well so far.
3: Bruce, I thought it was important to ask about you as a guest because I got to imagine all the interviews that you have done. There there hasn't been one where you haven't been asked about Aaron Rodgers, right?
4: Uh, yeah, yeah, you can say that. You can say that. Definitely.
3: I would imagine that would be the case but but tell me like what, what's the impact been that he's had we've seen the sound bites, we've read the clips and the interviews but you've experienced it. How significant is that impact for him inside that locker room.
4: Yeah just having a um, perspective since I've just been watching and I haven't been with the team as much I think he's brought a sense of calm to everybody um, just with the way he goes about things the way he you know wants you to get the job done and the way he talks to us in meetings at practice you know. Uh, outside of practice and everything like that I got a chance to chill with him his first week here and uh, started to build a relationship with him and it's been real cool so far and I think um, for us he made us comfortable knowing that you know if we get if we get to the right spots that he's going to give us the ball so it's been real cool to see how our offense has been beginning to gel together.
3: I think about you I think about Roger some of the other pieces on offense how dangerous can that unit be.
4: I mean I think. With the offense we have right now, I think we have an answer for everything. You know, um, if you want to, if you don't want to load the box, Aaron's hand handing me off the ball all day. If you do, you know, we got the RPOs, we got him to take shots. Um, And we have the receivers that are going to, you know, make plays for us as well. And if the offense is struggling, we have the backbone, which is our defense to rely on. So we're excited for that, for sure.
3: Bruce, you know, the Jets, we we talk about you guys here on Total Access all the time. There's an argument to be made that you guys maybe are the most hyped team this entire offseason because of Rodgers. Do you like having that target on, on your back right now, or would you rather just sort of come from behind and maybe people don't talk about you?
4: Um, I think it's fine with us. You know, we're just worried about the task at hand. You know, right now we're about to start training camp, so we're just worried about getting each other better. And then, you know, when preseason game one, two, three, and four come, then you know that's what that's what it's going to be. But right now we're just worried about getting each other better. We're not really worried about the outside noise
3: Brees, the division itself. I mean this is going to be awesome in the AFC East. What's going to separate you guys from the rest of the division.
4: Like I said I think um, we have an answer for everything uh, with our offense with the guys we have and with the defense we have. So um, you know I feel like as long as we uh, do our one eleventh on each side of the ball offense defense and special teams will be fine.
3: You know yesterday there was some buzz on social media about sauce and where he ranks among the DBs in the NFL. Uh, Asante Samuel I know you're smiling because I know you saw it. Is is there a message that you would have for Asante Samuel based off of some of his comments about the New York media?
4: Um, I mean I think uh, just reading up on some of the tweets I think they had a pretty good discussion Um, a lot of guys wanted to chip in but. um, As far as I'm coming at sauce you know he didn't really say anything he doesn't decide to go at anybody on twitter and you know the uh, the stats don't lie so i mean at the end of the day that's all you got to say the stats don't lie
3: yeah and something tells me when you say the conversations were good it might have gone to like dms at that point as opposed to just sort of out there for everyone or or am yeah. i reading into it a little too much
4: uh i mean that's none of my business right there i'm gonna do that in the air
3: you don't want to add to the uh, add to the fire, and I, I understand that. Hey, Brees, before we let you get going, man, coming up in a couple minutes, we're going to be talking about this Jets team. Is there a player? One of the questions we're going to ask is, who's the guy outside of Rodgers that is the most important player to this team's success? Who would you point to? Um, offensively,
4: can I get one other for offense and one other for defense? I'll,
3: I'll take either um... side when what do you got.
4: I'd say uh, for defense other than sauce is playing Williams uh, I can't wait to have him back um, and then offensively other than Aaron uh, I'd say it's probably me.
3: Okay. Okay. I would have been disappointed yeah. by the way if you didn't say it was you just for clarification <laughs> yeah. purposes. Hey man I, the, yeah. the best part about this interview is you, is you telling us at the start that you're feeling pretty good can't wait to see yeah. you out on the football field man. It was awesome to watch you when you were healthy those first few weeks of the season you were tearing it up and we were all like damn. Jets got a guy right now. So continued success, man. Stay healthy. Can't wait to see you in week number one.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Jets are the team that we learned this week will be featured on Hard Knocks. Woody Johnson, of course, loves it. Aaron Rodgers may not. You know who doesn't love it? History. History doesn't like this for the Jets anyway. 14 previous Hard Knocks teams have a combined one playoff win amongst them following HBO cameras being on campus. Then again, how many of those had just acquired a Hall of Fame? quarterback
0: you go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near
3: you. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do
1: You are listening to NFL Total Access, the podcast. I'm your host, NFL Network senior writer, Andrew Levy. And with me today, the Move the Sticks podcast co-host, Bucky Brooks. Curious Buck, on your journey to five different NFL teams, Buffalo, Jacksonville, Green Bay, Kansas City, and Oakland, was it difficult to maintain friendships with teammates once they became former teammates?
2: Absolutely. It's one of the, the most difficult things about kind of being transient In the National Football League, when you're a journeyman and you bounce around from team to team, locker room to locker room, you make great friendships there. But the nature of the league is everything is kind of at a surface level. As much as we talk about the team and building bonds and those things, you really have 53 independent contractors that are really worried about their own livelihood. And so the teams that are able to navigate it and build championship cultures are those that recognize that fact, but they still find a way to kind of use those old principles that permeated high school and college and that. And so, yeah, like I I miss some of those relationships that you had on the daily, guys that were your lunch partners and those things. And for whatever reason, they fall apart. But I think a lot of that is player driven. If guys want to stay in contact, they can stay in contact. Just got to pick up the phone, open their mouths.
1: Independent contractor. So you're on a W-9 contract. Is that how that works? Um, I ask because, sorry, go ahead.
2: I was like, yes, like that's what it feels like. You're definitely on a W-9. And when the tax man comes, whoo, he comes.
1: <laughs> well, it depends on the state you're in. Uh, many people are savvier about that than I've always been. I ask because NFL Network's Taylor Bishotti caught up with DK Metcalf. Uh, Tuesday night in L.A., some Gatorade Awards event. And he told her that he still talks to Russell Wilson every single day. Now, the question is, for me, is that camaraderie or codependency? I'll tell you what. Why don't you judge for yourself? Tay-Tay, take it away.
5: Was there a specific moment last year when you knew Gino is the guy?
6: I mean, the first game when he came out there, poised, executed the offense, executed the game plan. You see we came out with a W, and you know from that point forward, you know I knew what type of team and what type of player he was and what type of player he was going to be the rest of the season.
5: This offseason is a lot different than the last offseason. Russell Wilson left. There was not that many high hopes or expectations for what the Seahawks could do last year. Now expectations are pretty high.
6: We have to decide what type of team we're going to be and not just listen to the outside noise. You know we just got to be a band of brothers on Sunday just playing for each other and everything's going to fall in place.
5: Do you and Russell still talk?
6: Oh, yeah. uh, Probably every day.
5: (laughs) Still competition there between the two of you guys?
6: Uh, No, no, no. We really don't talk much competition. It's more uh, checking in with the family, checking out how each other's doing.
5: This draft, you guys added another receiver to the receiving core. What is he gonna specifically do to help you open up that offense?
6: Um, I mean, just the type of person he is first. He's a great dude and on the field, he's a great route runner, excellent hands. So I think he's gonna open up the offense even more. Him and Zach Charbonnet is gonna do, you know, amazing things at the running back position along with Ken Walker. You know, we got a whole arsenal of weapons on offense. Um, adding Bobby back on defense, you know, a leader for not only the defense but the whole team.
5: Training camp is right around the corner. Pete is known for his very competitive practices. What's he like in training camp?
6: I mean, nothing changes. Everybody has to compete. Everybody has to go hard, and you have to finish reps, and there's going to be a lot of competition on both sides of the ball, especially at the wide receiver DB position.
5: Okay, we're going to finish this off with some fast questions. First thing that comes to mind, you just got out of the car. If I went in there and turned up the volume, what were you listening to?
6: Um, sunroof.
5: What's your game day playlist?
6: probably rap and country music
5: top three current wide receivers in the league
6: justin jefferson Devonte adams aj brown
5: and yourself of course
6: oh yeah, yeah. i'll add myself in there yeah.
5: favorite cheat meal
6: fried chicken wings
5: fried chicken wings favorite gatorade flavor uh, cool blue if you could come up with your own gatorade flavor the dk flavor what would it be
6: strawberry mango
5: blueberry awesome thank you dk
1: The next topic, the annual offseason capital of hype and hope. Damn boys, with all the bravado in the world, but little else but bravado to show for it over the past 27 years. Dallas, Texas, of course. Bucky Brooks, please finish the following sentence. The Cowboys offense, under the direction of Mike McCarthy and not Kellen Moore, will be what?
2: Better suited to win a championship. Wow, not expecting that. Mike McCarthy has experience. Uh, The late Gunther Cunningham used to talk about Mike McCarthy being a stone-cold killer as a play caller. And I know people tend to focus on the end of his tenure at Green Bay and how he and Aaron Rodgers fell apart. But remember, he created and helped Aaron Rodgers become an MVP-caliber quarterback. Some of his schemes, some of his uh, developmental ability when it comes to teaching quarterbacks. Yeah, so I expect Dak Prescott, this offense, uh, to perform at a better and more efficient level and they will lean on the running game some to make sure that if they get a league, they can hold on to Willie.
1: Sit up, Cowboys fans. If you're listening to Bucky Brooks, there is actual hope along with your always hype. A new potentially critical piece to the blue and silver puzzle, Brandon Cooks. Bucky, this is a guy who was labeled as a sloppy route runner. Relies only on his speed, they said. Lacks the finer points of the position. And yet, since 2014, only one NFL wide receiver has more 1,000-yard seasons than Brandon Cooks. That player is Mike Evans. Brandon Cooks has six. Bucky Brooks from your unique perspective in the secondary, what is your scouting report on Dak's new target, Brandon Cooks?
2: Well, one, full disclosure, he's one of my favorite guys, man. I've known him since, who man, since he was at Oregon State. And uh, he used to come to Nike campus and work out and do those things. What Brandon Cooks is, he gives the Cowboys a polished pass catcher who is an outstanding route runner. The speed is still there, so yes, he can be uh, very important in terms of the vertical stretch game. Uh, the vertical passing game, his ability to run by uh, defenders on those vertical routes, goals post and deep overs, he can do that. But where he's going to make his money is on this intermediate game, working in the middle of the field, working outside the numbers on comebacks and curls, being able to win one-on-one situations. Uh, it's only going to help CeeDee Lamb. And so I would anticipate that the Cowboys would have two 1,000-yard receivers and Brandon Cooks would be a key, key playmaker for this offense as they begin to expand and develop other parts of the app.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses.
1: This is NFL Total Access, the podcast, Andrew Levy with Bucky Brooks. And the next topic is well-rounded, like shockingly well-rounded. That topic is a man, a wide receiver who speaks French and German and fluent English, as it turns out. He's worldly, he's wise, and he's wildly talented. He's Amon Ra St. Brown. He's also working the chip on your shoulder angle like no other, keenly aware of the 16 wideouts selected ahead of him in his NFL draft year. Keeps their names in a notebook, apparently on his person at all times. <laughs> Bucky Brooks, from the perspective of the secondary, of a D-back, why is Amon Ra St. Brown such a difficult assignment? Other, of course, than his well-channeled bitterness.
2: Uh, let, let, let's keep it real. I, I would say this. Having known him since he was at high school, I watched him at modern-day high school, having worked with him at camps, he's the same guy. He's a dog. Man, and we were talking about dog. we're talking about D-A-W-G in terms of his competitiveness, his feistiness, how he loves to compete at a high level, and he loves to make the adjustments to his game to put himself in a position to win the one-on-ones. He landed in a perfect spot in Detroit. They were willing to give him kind of prime landscape as a, as a number one receiver, and then they've added weapons around him. Jerry Goff, I uh, think about James Williams. So now they have multiple receivers that can make plays on the perimeter, It's only going to make life easier for the number one. He should be excited about what's going on.
1: So unlike the 16 other NFL teams that wanted a wide receiver and passed on Amon Ross St. Brown, Bucky
2: Brooks, you saw this coming. Now, I would say this. I I, I would say that I thought he would be a solid pro, didn't know when he'd get picked and those things because a lot of that stuff is more beauty pageant stuff, size, prototypical dimensions, what he looks like, physicality, and those things. I would say that at a young age, in high school, he was as polished As you will find a young receiver, his ability to get in and out of his breaks, his ability to set defenders up made him a very, very difficult out. And so I just think he settled into a role in Detroit that fits his wheelhouse that will allow him to kind of be at his best for the most part. And so because you're putting him in in the building and allowing him to just kind of work the slot and do those things, he is going to continue to wear defenses out. So, says Bucky
1: Brooks, let's turn the mic over now to Mike. Mike Yam, who spoke to Amon Ra St. Brown on Monday's Total Access.
3: Amon Ra, really appreciate you giving us some time, man, in the offseason. Explain to me how special this is, considering your rookie season. It's three, thirteen, and one and now all of a sudden, you guys are opening up the season, your third season, against the Kansas City Chiefs. What's it like to have all this love and buzz surrounding the squad?
7: Yeah, it's, it's going to be super fun. Um, you know, especially coming off the year that we had last year, um, you know finishing strong the way we did uh, beating Green Bay at Green Bay uh, that was a you know super super fun game and having that momentum moving forward going into this year um, the team is super excited we're ready you know we got some some draft picks uh, some guys coming back some free agency the guys that we signed in free agency um, so I'm excited uh, it's gonna be super fun I can't wait um, never played an arrowhead I heard it super loud but we'll we'll see
3: well, you mentioned the draft. We had our coverage here at NFL Network, and I'm looking around. I'm like, oh my god, like they're going all in. I, I, are there? Is there a player? Are there multiple players? Like, who are you excited about that you think could be a contributor in week number one?
7: Uh, I think you know. I think Brad and, and the guys here in Detroit did a great job of drafting. Obviously, you know, they drafted me, found me in the fourth round, so <laughs> they know how to find talent, obviously. <laughs> but But um, no, there's a bunch of guys. You know, OTAs. It's kind of hard to tell with without pads, but. There's a bunch of guys that I think are going to do great for us. Um, you know, our running back that we got, Jameer Gibbs. Um, you know, I'm mostly watching the offense, so I see a lot of those guys. I can't wait to to see what he does for us. Um, explosive back, our tight end, um, he's balled out during OTA, so uh, I can't wait to see all of them just go go out and, and have fun.
3: You know, there's been a lot of hype around Jared Goff this offseason. Heard from Coach saying, hey, this is a better version of Goff than what he was when he went to the Super Bowl with the Rams a few years ago. You're around him all the time. You see what the work ethic is. What don't we? What do we know about what makes him successful?
7: Um, I just, you know, obviously, cameras are always around the quarterback. You guys see a lot of him. But, you know, from what you guys don't see, I mean, he's an awesome oh. dude, number one. I think that goes a long way, being a— a good teammate, a good in the locker room. Um, I, I, everyone on the team loves him. I love him. Um, he's a good leader. Um, I think just hardworking. You know, you don't always see the work that's put in week in and week out uh, with the preparation that, you know, that's done, whether it's in the film room, out in the field. So I would say just the work that he puts in, it's um, it's fun to watch and it's awesome to see it unfold out there on on Sundays.
3: You know, last season, I, I really, and I do mean this from the bottom of my heart, I could not stop watching Hard Knocks. I couldn't get <laughs> enough of you and your teammates that are out there. I've referenced, though, a specific scene with you here on NFL Network a couple times where you rattle off the 16 other wide receivers taken before you in the draft. I love that chip on your shoulder. Yeah. But is that something, look, you've balled out so far in, in your NFL career. Does that at all go away, or do you still think about that type of stuff?
7: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so, actually, still, I still think about it. Um, I actually have my, my goals written down on my notebook. Um, you know, what I want to achieve every year. So what I want to achieve this year moving, going into the season, my personal goals. Um, and then right below that, I have, you know, I have the 16 receivers written down where they went to college, right, right below that. And so I read that whole list three times before I go to practice every day. Um, so it's something that I'll never forget. Something that I make sure I'm always reminded of because it's kind of like uh, someone in your family passing away as years go on you kind of, you know, it gets easier on you and you start to forget about a little more. Um, but it's something that, you know, you'll never forget. So I personally never forget it. Um, and being able to have that on my notebook every, you know, every time I go out to practice just to make sure I'm, you know, I'm staying staying focused and never forget what happened to me. Yeah.
3: What What is in that notebook? You said individual goals for the upcoming season. What What's, how do you level up? Because the reality is we went through those numbers. They're pretty terrific.
7: Yeah, I uh, actually, you know, people always ask me what's in that notebook. I actually don't tell anyone until after the season because you know if I tell you guys now and I don't achieve it you guys might want to say some oh he said this that and the other but I keep it to myself and, and maybe at the end of the year we can revisit that list
3: Yeah. Well, you know there'd be another page because if you didn't meet some of those goals <laughs> and people would be talking about it you'd have a list of all the people that called you out on it so right, fair right. assessment expect you to come back with us at, at the end of next season yeah, and you yeah. can read through that notebook but one of the cool things that you're doing with us players choice day tomorrow here at NFL Network and for those who don't know essentially you were in charge of what we see on NFL Network. So take me through the, the thought process around how you programmed.
7: Yeah, uh, so I was, you know, given a few things, actually several things to choose from. Um, but like you talked about earlier, Hard Knocks, I think that was super fun to be a part of. Um, so you guys are going to get a chance to see, you know, run back of the Hard Knocks, some of the episodes or clips that I really liked, um, some games that I thought, you know, I enjoyed playing in last year, performances that, that were pretty good for me. Um, you know, some legends that play for us, Calvin Johnson, Barry, Barry Sanders. Um, so just more Detroit Detroit hype, trying to, you know, hype it up more. But just guys that, you know, I really loved watching growing up, maybe some, even some guys on other teams. So you guys definitely got to tune in.
3: Yeah, we will definitely be watching. I'll be sitting at my desk getting ready for total access and be watching all, all day. Hey, by the way, just because I see the headphones on um, and you mentioned some of those games and we brought up hard knocks. Eminem, like, do you listen to him? Like you kind of have to, right? Like that's got to be in the heavy playlist rotation.
7: Uh, Definitely, a few songs of him for sure. Um, Ever since I got to Detroit, it's like you always knew Eminem was, but now that you're in Detroit, it's like, okay, this is Eminem. Let me let me really pay attention now.
3: Yeah. No, I'm with you. Lose yourself, man. Still on the uh, on the pre-show yeah. playlist, right? Get that going before. Get pretty right. hyped up. Hey, man, um, look, really do appreciate it. I expect to have you back on the show with us next year. We'll go through your notebook. Okay. Maybe you come to the studio. You can read everything from uh, from last season as well. But continued success, man. It's been a joy watching on the football field.
1: Thank you so much. You are listening to NFL Total Access, the podcast. I'm your host, NFL Network senior writer Andrew Levy. With me today, Professor Bucky brooks who is our guest lecturer at ta summer school ring the bell today's seminar thank you so much professor brooks for being here is on the hall of fame credentials of current nfl defensive linemen and linebackers we have talked wide receivers we have talked running backs i think we've talked quarterbacks we're working our way around the roster i'm loving these conversations but before we start this one bucky brooks You have a unique, I think, perspective on what it takes to be a Hall of Famer, not just because you, your personal standard, your ethos requires a high standard for these players, but because you have rubbed shoulders with, I think at last count, 15 Hall of Famers in your career. What is your take? We always talk about you need to dominate your era or you need to dominate within your era. You go a step further. Bucky, what does it take to be an NFL Hall of Famer?
2: I would say the first thing when it comes to Hall of Fame, you have to be able to feel that that player was a dominant player. And what I mean feel is when you turn on the TV, when you turn on the tape, when you're standing on the field, you put your eyes on him and you see a player that is special. He dominates. He plays at a high level. You feel his dominance. His dominance requires people to command uh, double teams and commit multiple people to him to slow him down. And in spite of facing those tandems, he still is productive. The Hall of Fame is a is such a, a sacred place because it's supposed to be a place that only enshrines the best when it comes to it. And so if anything, I think you need to be a harsh grader. Uh, you need to be very selective in terms of who you invite into uh, that space because those guys need to be able to, you need to be able to look at the game on tape and feel that that's what a Hall of Famer feels like.
1: Okay, so a harsh grader, he has, he's identified himself as a very difficult professor, which means I don't want to be in this class, but based on what we talked about before, Patrick Mahomes does want to be in this class. Patrick Mahomes is willing to take the Bucky Brooks test. For this seminar, we're going to bring in Professor Brooks's research assistant, Kendall Mirsky, our in-house uh, researcher. Kendall, thank you so much for being here. Kendall is going to give us some statistical context, some texture to this conversation as needed. Let's start with the D-linemen. As we look at the landscape of current NFL D-linemen, there is one name that seems to pop off the page for everyone who has this conversation. It is, of course, number 99. It is Aaron Donald. Bucky Brooks, is Aaron Donald a lock, and is he the only lock amongst current NFL D-linemen?
2: Yeah, he's a lock. He's the only lock that I can say right now. I would say that I would keep an eye on, depending on where you categorize him in terms of position, I would say keep an eye on Nick Bosa, because Nick Bosa is really coming on like game busters in terms of putting up gaudy and ridiculous sack numbers. Uh, But right now, those two guys are very, very formidable uh, when it comes to presenting their case uh, as Hall of Famers. OK,
1: let's talk 99. Kendall, I, I think we, we sort of accept this guy as being a standard bearer, potentially the best in the business now, and certainly on the short list of maybe the best that ever was. He's still out there, which is impressive as hell. Remind us of this man's credentials. Why is Aaron Donald, in Bucky Brooks's language, a lock for the Hall of Fame?
8: Well, I mean, he's a four-time Defensive Player of the Year winner, and he's been selected to the Pro Bowl in every single season that he's played. And then on top of that, since he's entered the league, we always talk about dominating your era. He entered the league in 2014. He leads the league in sacks with 103. The next is Chandler Jones with 94.5, and that's obviously good company.
1: Wow, that's incredible. Now, he also name-checked Nick Bosa. Now, I think you said, Bucky, he's not a lock, but he's on the right track. So, Kendall... Give us a little bit of statistical context for Nick Bosa's resume, Nick Bosa's career. Uh, Why is Bucky so bullish on Nick Bosa?
8: I think the tough part with Bosa specifically is that he's been in the league for four seasons, but of course he missed most of 2020 from injury, only played in two games. So he's entering his fifth year. He's made three Pro Bowls, one All-Pro, 2019 Defensive Rookie of the Year, and 2022 Defensive Player of the Year he led the league in sacks this year. But when you look at his first four seasons with that caveat that I just mentioned, he only played two games in 2020, he has 43 career sacks, which is tied for 16th most sacks through four seasons in NFL history. That's tied with Jared Allen. His career low sacks is nine in his rookie season. Say you give him nine sacks in that 2020 year that he missed. That would push him up to fifth on that list and put him sandwiched in between Hall of Famer Demarcus Ware and Dwight Freeney. Wow. Okay. So he certainly does
1: have the foundation for a Canton-esque consideration for a Hall of Fame resume. I'm going to throw some other names, Bucky Brooks, back your way. Look, the recently retired J.J. Watt, is he a lock? Is he in?
3: <sighs>
1: little bit of pause, little bit of hesitation, listener. I mean, you hear the exhale. Um, Bucky's not shaking his head. I don't think there's any acrimony here, but a little bit of uncertainty. It's not a reflexive yes.
2: I mean, I think so. I think eventually he gets in. I just don't know because like, I'm thinking first ballot. But, yes, sir. Yeah, he gets in. I think I think he absolutely gets in.
1: Okay, so let's get back. That Sorry for that slight deviation to players who are not in the league anymore. J.J. Watt, go Badgers. Um, let's talk about his brother, T.J. Watt. Obviously, he's only been around for a short while. But when you look at guys like a T.J. Watt, maybe even like a Miles Garrett, um, are they putting together the kind of – dominant tape, I think, to go back to your original your original metric, which is you have to be able to see somebody on the field who is dominating, who is, in fact, bigger, faster, stronger than the other guys, and he does it every week. Maybe he does it every snap. This is what makes a player so special that he becomes part of a Hall of Fame debate. Would you be surprised if a T.J. Watt or a Miles Garrett, five years after they retire, whenever that is, find their way with a gold jacket?
2: Uh, yeah, I think T.J. Watt has has a chance for sure. Single season record holder, that is certainly going to give him a major bump. Uh, the fact that he is J.J. Watt's younger brother is also going to give him a bump because we're going to expect J.J. Watt to go in. His brother is going to benefit from some of that uh, support. So, yeah, I think I think he's in. Uh, Miles Garrett, to me, because I think you mentioned him, he's the one that is interesting. He's interesting because he's number one overall pick. You see the production, you see the rare traits, the rare rarefired, air that he's able to get into when it just is about getting to the passer and knocking the passer down. So yeah, I think he has a chance, but I mean with all of these guys, you have to put some more hardware on the mantle. You have to do some stuff when it comes to the playoffs to really make it a very memorable experience so people can go all in on your candidacy.
1: You know, we've had these conversations over the past couple of weeks and Kendall has sat right here in this chair and reminded us that that's what a lot of these guys need. There's, there's so much extrapolation going on in these debates, way too early, of course, and yes, they need to acquire uh, accolades. They may need some hardware as well, and they need to string years like that together over a certain extent of time. Let's talk about time. Let's talk about a guy who may benefit in the end as much for his longevity as he will from his dominance on the field, a guy like Calais Campbell. Are you interested in having a debate, maybe, about the future prospects in Canton for somebody like a Calais Campbell?
2: See, I don't know if Calais gets in. I love him as a person. I love him as a, as a guy in the locker room and, glue and a glue guy. But in terms of dominant performance, I don't know if I've seen enough to say, hey, man, I feel like this guy's a lock to be in. Great leader, great person, uh, great when it comes to resolving all the matters in the locker room. I just don't know if he's going to be able to resonate as a champ.
1: Okay, when the Calais-Campbell debate and argument is had years from now, and it will be had, Kendall Mursky, you stumbled upon at least one statistical measurement that suggests that Calais's case may be better than Bucky thinks.
8: Yeah, so he's obviously played in 15 seasons, entering his 16th year now, and 10 of those 15 years, he's posted 10-plus tackles for loss which is tied for the second most such seasons in NFL history that's behind only Terrell Suggs and it's tied with Jared Allen and Julius Peppers
1: very very interesting
8: now uh, does that does, is that is that
1: sort of triggering a little renewed interest in the Calais Campbell case Bucky
2: I mean it's not but I I think he's he's just in a log jam because I think there's so many players ahead of him mm. before you can get to him and a lot of times The farther you get away from your playing career the more it becomes about the numbers that you put up during that i don't know if his numbers are going to be significant enough Mm -hmm. for him to get up there
1: okay copy that there was something that kendall threw you threw it out earlier i wrote it down behind your back since 2008. uh there are only five players with 75 or more sacks and 150 or more tackles for loss jj watt aaron donald cam jordan von miller and the aforementioned Calais Campbell. Let's turn from Calais Campbell. We've talked about JJ, we've talked about Aaron Donald. Let's talk about Cam Jordan. Let's talk about Von Miller. I think Cam Jordan is a very interesting character. I think there is something about his character that probably engenders more support and more interest than somebody who is a little less captivating. I think there's something about Von Miller, who has become a de facto leader in the D-line community, uh, which makes him almost feel as much like a contributor as he feels a dominant player on the field. Are you interested in the Hall of Fame cases of either Cam Jordan or Von Miller? If you had to choose, who would it be and why?
2: Uh, I would pick Von Miller over Cam Jordan. I feel like Von Miller's Splash plays have caught your attention. Vaughn Miller's dominance for a long time has certainly caught your attention. When you watch him, even as recently as the most uh, recent playoffs, you've seen him dominate the game coming off the edges and doing different things. And so, yeah, like, I mean, Vaughn Miller is a guy that absolutely can close out games. And he will certainly find his way to a gold jacket because he has – Super Bowl rings he has postseason spectacular performances he has the numbers that are going to suggest that he should be in that mix and so when you go all the way back and look at his career from beginning to end yeah he's he's there Bucky Brooks
1: mentioned Von Miller's Super Bowl rings, of course, which came with two different teams. Now he's on a third team. If Kendall Mersky, the Buffalo Bills, should make that finally run to a Super Bowl championship, Von Miller would have a third Super Bowl ring with a third different team. I should think that's unique, but is there a statistical measurement which really solidifies Von Miller's case for Canton consideration?
8: I think the best one is probably what he's done through his first eight seasons where he has 98 sacks, which is tied for the fourth most. Uh, He's tied with Aaron Donald, who we obviously talked about as a lock. And then he's behind Jared Allen, who keeps popping up in this conversation. And then Hall of Famers DeMarcus Ware and Reggie White. So being in that company with Aaron Donald, DeMarcus Ware, and Reggie White for first eight seasons of sack production, I think, is something that bodes well for him. Bucky Brooks, you rubbed shoulders with uh,
1: Reggie White in your career. What made him special? And does does he perfectly match your your instincts, your definition of what it takes to be
2: a Hall of Famer? I would say this, Andrew. I, I, I've been actually lucky that I've had three uh, Hall of Fame pass rushers that were teammates. So Bruce Smith, Derek Thomas, Reggie White. Wow. All did it in different fashions. So if you think about Bruce Smith, Bruce Smith did it as a five technique in a 3-4 defense. Meaning he played outside the tackle but inside when it comes to the defense so he didn't get the free runs to the quarterback that some guys got so for him to be the all-time sack leader speaks to not only his athleticism and his power but also his ability to utilize technique to his advantage Derek Thomas did it differently because Derek Thomas we talked about Von Miller Von Miller has Derek Thomas like first step quickness and in snap count anticipation meaning when they see the ball squeeze they're off the ball and and so When you think about that ability to fly off the ball like a cat, dip and rip, to turn the corner, and then to get to the quarterback. And for Derek Thomas, the tomahawk chop was always a big part of his game because he knocked the ball loose. He had an eye for the ball and knocked the ball loose. Reggie White was a freak because Reggie White was, I mean, a superhero in terms of just his strength, the way that he would toss people around. Everyone should be familiar with the club move, the hump move, where he would – have his hand low, and he would kind of catch the offensive tackle tipping and leaning, and he would club him and knock him down. Reggie White's sheer power, his sheer athleticism, is that of really a superhero. And so all of them do it differently. But after you watch those guys work, it changes the standard of evaluation when it comes to who should be a gold jacket guy. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention Julius Peppers as a scout, watching Julius Peppers in Carolina. Watching him tally up sack total totals that are near the top of the charts, this guy was a freak athlete, and because of that, man, I am really, really hard when it comes to grading Hall of Famers, particularly Hall of Fame pass rushers.
1: I I have to say, I'm just sort of soaking in the one degree of separation that you now represent for me from these uh, Hall of Fame great D linemen. Thank you so much for sharing that perspective, because, man, you earned that. And none of us ever have a chance to be that close to guys that good. Let's switch over uh, Bucky Brooks to the linebacker position, a smaller group of guys I should think to focus on when you consider current NFL players at the linebacker position who may find themselves cast in bronze and fitted for a gold jacket one day in Canton. The name B-Wags, Bobby Wagner jumps off the list for me as somebody who has every expectation to be making an induction speech five years or more after he retires. Am I overstating that? What are your thoughts on B-Wags as a Hall of
2: Famer? No, he has he has the accolades for sure. He certainly will be in. And if not for an Aaron Russell Wilson pass, it would be a no-brainer. Mm. Because the thing with Bobby Wagner, you can have all the stats, you can have all the Pro Bowls and All-Pros designations. If he was a two-time Super Bowl champ, man, you can just walk him right in afterwards. But because he's a one-timer, he kind of falls into not that holding tank with a bunch of other guys, but now it's up for maybe a bigger debate. I will say, though, that When it comes to playing the traffic cop position, because that's what the Mike linebacker is, his ability to control the communication, make sure everyone is doing exactly what they're supposed to do, while also putting up big numbers as a tackling machine, he does that. And so he is going in, maybe not as a first ballot guy, but he's certainly going in because he will be synonymous with the Legion of Boom and that defense in Seattle. They were so dominant during the 2010s. Okay, so uh, Kendall Mursky, Bucky Brooks points
1: out the fact that a second Super Bowl mm. ring would make this a no-brainer. The one Super Bowl ring dings that resume a little bit and maybe forces louder and longer debates than are even necessary for a player of Bobby Wagner's ability. What are some statistical measurements, remind us of his accolades, that make the Bobby Wagner case pretty open and shut?
8: So I'll give one that's just a pure stat, and then the second one goes back to the accolade point, which I think is really going to drive it home. So since entering the league in 2012, he has 1,521 career tackles, which is most in the league. And like Bucky said, he's going to rack up all the stats. But I think the one that drives it home is he's one of 11 linebackers in NFL history with at least six first-team All-Pro selections. All 10 other linebackers are enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame.
1: Boom. That sounds pretty good, Bucky. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think to your point. And and you know what? I would maybe now, based on what Kendall has just told us, I might even push back on your hesitation of Bobby Wagner Mm -hmm. as a first-ballot guy. And I think with that in mind, I think he may be in at the first time of asking. Wow,
2: look at you giving away those first time ballot awards just <laughs> just walking everybody in. Well, Just you know it's interesting. Yeah,
1: the, you know, the guys in Canton, you know, the the team of people, uh, the the luminaries that, of course, make these decisions. They call me all the time because they really are very, very interested in what <laughs> I have to say. A former soccer player it. from Virginia who went to the University of Wisconsin. Why wouldn't they consult me on this? Let's talk about some other linebackers, guys that I think we can agree are at the top of the heap in terms of their skill set, in terms of their talent, their ability, and their uh, their ability to sort of change a game, to dominate a game, guys like Fred Warner, guys like maybe DeMario Davis, Khalil Mack, Levante David, uh, maybe Micah Parsons on the rise. Of those names, do any of them sort of hit your radar as guys that you wouldn't be surprised years from now end up with a
2: gold jacket, Bucky Brooks? Micah Parsons, I would put him in. Micah Parsons' ability to make splash plays and highlights that will resonate with people. Double-digit sacks in each of his first two seasons, his ability to play that blended position as an inside linebacker slash edge rusher, that makes him different. The way that he's wired, the motor that he plays and and, and displays, yeah, I think he is in line to be able to do it. And I know that's saying a lot for a guy that is entering his third year. Khalil Mack, maybe, but man, he slowed down a lot after being all pro at two different spots. It looked like he was on that path. I'm not so sure now. He may eventually get in, but I don't think he is the lock that many of us thought when he was all pro at linebacker and defensive
1: end. You know, it's interesting when we look at a guy's career, when there is a wane, when there is uh, some sensation of disappointment on the backside of a career, it really, that recency bias, if the last thing that we saw and the last thing that we felt was something along the lines of disappointment, it becomes much, much harder to make the case. Can you make a case for any of the guys that we just mentioned? Fred Warner, Demario Davis, Khalil Mack, Levante David, maybe Micah Parsons, obviously such a small sample size. But Bucky is so bullish on Micah Parsons. Maybe remind us why.
8: Yeah, I I think he's just nail on the head with Khalil Mack. It's really the drop off. Like he has a lot of great stats through his first five seasons, but it is that waning that you just alluded to that could, Tamper that expectation going on, but Michael Parsons specifically, like you said, small sample size. But through those first two seasons, he has twenty six point five sacks since sacks were tracked in nineteen eighty two. That's the sixth most sacks through two seasons, behind only Alden Smith, Hall of Famer Reggie White, Von Miller, Hall of Famer Derek Thomas, who we alluded to, and Sean Merriman. Very very interesting. Uh, last
1: question today, Bucky. Thank you so much for your time, Kendall. Thank you so much for being here as well. There is something positionless about Micah Parsons. And when we talk about uh, the archetype of the NFL Hall of Famer by position, it becomes difficult. It becomes interesting. It becomes the subject of even more debate, I should think, in the years to come. We encountered this the other day when we talked about running backs. The usage of the NFL running back is so different now. The old standard of where do they fall in line in terms of all time carries and yards and touchdowns. Well, it's different now. We have to look at positions like the NFL running back very, very differently. I should think the same goes for hybrid players like a Micah Parsons. Do you think his versatility in the end could hurt him more than it helps him now on the field? Could it hurt him when it comes to Hall of
2: Fame consideration? No, I think it only helps him because what it does is allows him to put up numbers because we're such numbers fanatics. Uh, his ability to move around, to put himself in a position to get after the quarterback that serves him well, because if he was just a guy that was kind of moving around, but the only thing he did was rack up maybe tackles and sacks and force fumbles. Well, now he's in a different category because now he's in the category with Luke keekley and Patrick Willis and those guys, but because he's able to get sacks, that's the added benefit because For whatever reason, I think voters and I think the general public can recognize and appreciate sack totals because that number stands out, particularly when we're watching games.
1: And I think in the end, it goes back to what you said at the very beginning of all of this, which is there is a certain eye test metric that is hard to define, but impossible to ignore. When you watch the game, when you watch the film, does that player stand out as being better than the others? Is he faster? Is he stronger? Is he more effective? I think in the case of people that we've talked about today, like Aaron Donald, it's certainly yes. J.J. J. Watt at his best. Certainly yes. Nick Bosa, man, he is on the way. And yes, Bobby Wagner and guys like... Micah Parsons certainly passed the eye test for today's very special guest, Bucky Brooks. Really want to thank you, Bucky, for being here. I want to thank researcher Kendall Mirsky for sitting in as well, and I want to invite the listener to join us next week. I think Monday we'll probably hear from us here at TA the Podcast when we discuss the Hall of Fame credentials of cornerbacks, guys in the secondary, the corners, and the safeties. Who is cornering the market on greatness in the NFL right now? That is a question to be answered on Monday. Till then, take care of you, take care of your crew, and ciao for now. NFL Total Access is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio,
0: visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring,